0: Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Well, last week I was reading a little story about, it was an article, but it was talking about some research that was uh, published in the Journal of Psychological Science. And um, it was talking about um, spoilers. Now, the reason why I was on that thought is because about a week and a half ago, um, some of the pastors from the church, we, we were getting in a vehicle and we were going to lunch. And on the way to lunch, somebody brought up a movie that a couple of us had just recently seen. And so we began to talk, oh yeah, that one part and this and that. And as we were talking about this movie that we had recently seen, some of the other guys in the vehicle were like, no, 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 don't stop. I mean, don't, don't say it because I want to see it. And they start doing what a lot of us do in those situations. When somebody's talking about a book that you haven't read yet or a TV show you haven't watched yet or a movie you haven't seen yet, they start doing what a lot of us do in those moments where we go, no, 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 don't. We say, don't spoil it for me. Uh, a lot of times if an article's, you know, giving information about something, it'll, it'll put parentheses, it'll say, spoiler alert. And that's what they were doing in the, in the van. They said, no, 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 don't, because I want to see it and whatever. And the, the couple of us that had seen it, we just couldn't help it. We started kind of mentioning a couple things that we thought were cool in the movie, and they just kind of were having to plug their ears because they didn't want to be spoiled. Well, in this article that I was telling you about, that I was reading, as it turns out, um, Spoilers have been kind of getting a bad rap all along because this research that they have done, here's what they found in the research. It showed that knowing the ending of a story before you experience it doesn't hurt the experience of the story. Actually, their research found that knowing the end of the story actually makes you enjoy the story more. Who would have thought? Here's what they did. It was researchers from the University of California in San Diego. And they conducted experiments where they took 12 short stories. Uh, All the stories had all kinds of plot twists and mysterious pieces and wild endings. And and in in, uh, two of the the conditions, they would give up front to the people who were going to read the story. They would give up front the ending. They'd give away the ending. And then they'd have the people read. So in two of the conditions they would do that. And then for every two that they would do that, in one condition, they wouldn't give away the ending of these stories. And all these people reading these 12 different stories, again, two out of every three, they knew the ending. One out of every three, they didn't know the ending. And when they had done all these different experiments with all these different people, they started quizzing them on how they felt about the stories. And as they quizzed them, they found out that the participants actually preferred the spoiled versions over the unspoiled ones. Uh, They said that uh, spoiled stories were easier to follow, easier to understand, um, and that was way easier than when the ending wasn't known. As it turns out, a spoiler is not a spoiler at all they said it was actually taking the complex story and making it more simple because I was able to focus on different pieces of the story because I already knew the ending. That whole thing is called the spoiler paradox. Why am I sharing about the spoilers paradox? Because, spoiler alert, I'm gonna give away the end of God's story today. Now, if you don't want it spoiled for you, if you want to experience it without knowing at all what's coming, then I encourage you just to quietly slip out of service right now. No one will think that bad of you. Now, here's the thing. Knowing the end of the story actually makes the story more enjoyable, actually makes the story more meaningful. And so I encourage you to stick around, but I am going to give away the ending. Uh, And that's one of the pillars uh, uh, of our faith that we're talking about in this foundational series is the end of God's story. Now, if we were gonna tell kinda God's story in its most simplistic way, like, I think most theologians would probably be all right with this oversimplifying of God's story when it comes to uh, his interaction with us as human beings, but if I was gonna tell God's story really, really simply, really, really quickly, it would start, of course, uh, as most of you would guess, it would start with creation. And we could look there at the beginning of Genesis, and that would be the first, certainly the first chapter, the first piece of God's story. Um, quickly, part of God's story with man would include uh, our, our fall, the fall of man, which then, of course, leads us to the next part of God's story with man, which is redemption. Redemption. It's my big fear that I misspell one of these words here in front of all of you and be judged harshly for it. So far, so good, though. Uh, So we have creation as part of God's story, the fall as part of God's story, redemption, of course, provided uh, by Jesus, uh, atonement on the cross, uh, of course, part of God's story. And then uh, the final piece of God's story with humanity, would be this piece, which is restoration. I mean, you could also call this piece reward. Um, and so there's God's story. Now, here's the problem with most of us, as we're just doing life as normal, as we're just kind of going through our routine and doing our thing. Most of us get caught up really focusing, spending all of our energy and thoughts on this part of God's story, because we know all too well about the fall of man. Somebody preaches something and says, you know, everybody has sinned and you're sitting there thinking, you don't have to tell me that. Like, I know, I know I've made mistakes. I know I've fallen. And I know even if I've experienced redemption, I know that there's been times I've fallen again and I've needed to come back to Christ and say, God, forgive me and redeem me again. So we get so caught up in this cycle, in this part of God's story. And what happens when we get focused here, we're missing the overall arc of God's story, which is really Important, like this stuff is just as important as this part of God's story. You were created with purpose, you were created for intimate fellowship with God, you were created to experience God in His fullness. This messed that up, but check it out that gets restored at the end of His story. And if I don't understand that this is getting restored here, Boy, it's going to affect the way I do this part of the story. But understanding the reward, understanding the restoration, boy, it, may, it starts to bring sense, meaningfulness to the entire entire story. Matter of fact, so knowing the end of the story, the story getting spoiled for me, makes the story all that much more enjoyable. That's what Peter is kind of talking about here in First Peter chapter one. We read it, but he's talking about the end of the story. And there's a few thoughts, um, kind of true statements that I want to pull out of 1 Peter chapter one when it comes to understanding the end of the story. There's some real important truth to that. And So if you are taking notes, you might want to jot this first statement down when it comes to looking at the end of the story. First statement would be this. The validity of hope is determined by its source. Let me say it again, think about it. The validity of of any hope is determined by its source. I feel like uh, I've shortened what Peter's saying here in verse three, look what he says. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's introducing not just any hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that word hope, you got to admit, it's gotten watered down a little bit. It gets probably a little bit Overused. I mean, we run around hoping for everything. If I got to go somewhere, then you'll hear me say, "Well, Well, I hope there's not bad traffic. Or you might be making dinner and you may say, Man, I hope this turns out it's a new recipe. I mean, think about it. Yesterday, there were some of you that were probably hoping that it would rain, and there were some of you at the same exact time hoping it wouldn't rain. Here you are, both Christians wanting the opposite thing, hoping for the opposite thing. Some of you want rain for your yard, some of you had something to do outside and you didn't want it to rain. So we just hope for all kinds of stuff. There's a game going on. On one side of the stands, there's people hoping that this team wins. On the other side, there's people hoping this team wins. Might be good people on both sides hoping that their team wins. But most of that hope is really inconsequential. Not because of who's hoping, Listen, it'd be like this. Let's say I, was, I had gotten in touch with LeBron James. I messaged him through social media. I said, LeBron, I'm trying to do a charity game. Me and you, one-on-one here at Faith Assembly. What do you think? He hits me back, says, I'm in. All right, we sell tickets. It's right up there. I assume you guys are all going to come, and I assume that when you get there, matter of fact, I hope. I hope that when you get there, you're all going to be rooting for me. That you've like gotten together and made Pastor Johnny chance. You know, like I hope everybody's just rooting for me to win, hoping that I win. And even if that's those uh, that entire gym was filled with all of you, hoping that I would win, how many know that hope is pretty inconsequential when I'm facing LeBron James. I mean, to be honest with you, it doesn't matter that you're hoping that I win. And it's not because of you. It's not because of the hoper, but it's because of the source of your hope. You're putting your hope in me against LeBron James. I ain't got any hope in me against LeBron James. So what makes hope valid then? What makes hope consequential? Not the hoper, but the the source of the hope who I'm putting the hope in. That's why when Peter says, you're being introduced into not a dead hope, not an inconsequential hope, he said, no, you're being introduced into a living hope, and it's a living hope because of who it's in. Jesus is alive, and the fact that he's alive makes this hope alive. Amen. And so it's all about the person of Jesus and who he is. That's what Peter's trying to say. This hope is alive because of Jesus. And if Jesus isn't alive, then my hope is not alive. And you'll find plenty of people, plenty of skeptics who say Jesus wasn't who he said he was, that maybe Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that Jesus, some people will even say Jesus never claimed to be God, some skeptics will say, which is a tough statement to make because of, if you read the New Testament, it's, it's a hard conclusion to come to. I mean, in Mark chapter, uh, Mark alone, in the book of Mark, six times, uh, probably over six times, Jesus claimed his deity. In John chapter one, John's talking about Jesus and declares that Jesus is the eternal word. All in the first chapter, he says he's the eternal word. He's the one who made all things. He is with God and he is God, John says. John chapter eight. Jesus makes this statement. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that was a big statement. A matter of fact, when he said that, um, some of the Jewish leaders around at that time picked up stones. They're ready to kill him right there because they understood what he was saying. He was saying, Hey, before time, guess what? I've already been here. He's saying, I'm I'm, I'm God. That's what he's saying. And they knew in the the Mosaic law for an ordinary person to make that claim to be God, it deserved death. So if he's an ordinary person, in their minds he was, they're they're ready to kill him right there on the spot. He eludes that situation, but of course he's making that statement not as an ordinary person. In Mark chapter 14, the high priest asked Jesus, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus replied, I am. And then Jesus goes on, doubles down. He says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And at that point, <clears throat> they cry out, blasphemy. They, they can't believe what they're hearing. They start saying, do we need any more evidence to, to crucify him because he deserves it? Why? Because he is claiming to be God. And Here's the thing. If, if he is then that's where I put my trust. If he's not, and you can, you, uh, even different religions have different viewpoints on, on, who, on who Jesus is. <clears throat> Muslims, they may have some esteem for, uh, for Jesus, for Esau is what they would uh, call him. Uh, they pay homage to him, but they don't worship him as God. Buddhists, they think highly of Jesus, but they don't think of him as God. Hindus uh, might think highly of Jesus, uh, I mean, they would maybe even consider him one of the thousands or millions of gods that they would believe in, so in that sense, it's not really giving him the, 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 the office that, that we're saying that he deserves as 100% God, 100% man. Even secularists uh, would maybe look at Jesus and pay him some respect or homage, but only as a person only as a secularist. I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody that doesn't even believe on Jesus the way we're talking about believing on Jesus and basing your life uh, on his word and on following him. Some people that don't even believe on him like that, but they'll say things like this, well, I I don't really do all that stuff, I don't really believe all that stuff, but what will they say about Jesus? They'll say, well, but I believe he was a good man. I believe he was a good teacher. I believe maybe he was a good prophet. Anybody ever heard kind of people make those kind of blanket statements, right? That, well, I mean, he was probably a good man. He was probably a good teacher. He was probably a good prophet. Well, here's the thing. You can't have it both ways. Because if you don't believe he's who he says he was, guess what? He said he was God. And if you don't believe he was God, then he can't be a good man. Because last I checked, liars and blasphemers aren't under the classification as good people. No. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, but I think he was a good teacher. Well, guess what Jesus taught? Jesus taught, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's people running around out there that go, I think there's all kinds of paths to heaven. I think there's all kinds of paths. I think no matter which God you worship, you all end up magically at this one same God. These people believe that and yet call Jesus a good teacher. And you have to go, but but you, he's not a good teacher, because he's teaching something false than what you think is the truth. So how can you say he's a good teacher when he's teaching the wrong thing in your opinion? It would be like if I was gonna be the, your third grader's teacher this coming up fall, right? And I'm the third grade teacher for your little third grader. And the first day of class, i get them all in there and say, okay, hey, guys, this year, two plus two now equals five. We're gonna start a whole new revolution. And 10 plus 10 is 13 or 17, or 19. It's actually whatever you want. I'm just starting a whole new math that's going to take over the world. It wouldn't take long. Y'all would be lined up at my door not to award me teacher of the year, not to tell me what a good teacher I was. You'd be lined up to say, you know what, you are teaching false stuff and I disagree with it, yet we have people that don't believe what Jesus taught and calling him a good teacher. Doesn't work. People who don't believe who Jesus was. Call him a good prophet. How can you call him a good prophet? If you don't believe that he came to this earth, 100% God, took on flesh, died in our place, a substitutionary death to redeem us, rose again on the third day and is coming back for his church. If you don't believe that then he's not a good prophet because that's what he prophesied was going to happen. So if Jesus isn't any of those things then our hope is dead. But if he is because he is all of that, then that's where I'll put my hope. I'm not going to put my hope in my own self and my own strength and what I'm able to do. I'm not going to put my hope in my financial uh, package. I'm not going to put my hope in politicians or policies or government. I'm going to put my hope in Jesus because he's the one that's alive and has birthed me in (laughs) to a living hope. Um, Not only... Does the source of the hope make the hope valid? Second one would be this second statement, just would be this the, the divine reward is delayed, but never diminished. The divine reward is delayed, I'll give you that. It's, it's delayed. But we can't get caught up into thinking that because this divine reward, this restoration, because it's been delayed, that somehow it's been diminished. It's not. And Peter combats that in First Peter one verses four and five that we read. He says we're being welcomed into an inheritance that can never perish. Never spoil, never fade. You may get an inheritance on this earth. You may inherit a house or something, and in 20 or 30 years, that house is gonna start to fade away. It's not gonna be the same as it was. Peter's saying it doesn't work like this here. This is an inheritance that never perishes, never spoils, never fades. He says this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who are through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Somebody might read that part. This coming of the salvation. You say, I thought salvation has already come. I thought I am saved. You are saved. But wait till you see what salvation is like when it's completed. Because sometimes in this level of salvation, I can kind of go through some stuff or not feel so great a certain day. And some people that are saved, they're saved. But they may say stuff like, I don't feel saved today. Well, if you don't feel saved today, trust me, on this day that 1 Peter's talking about here, you'll feel saved. Ain't nobody gonna be walking around at that day when, when the last time when Jesus has been revealed, nobody's gonna be walking around saying, I don't feel saved. We're gonna know what salvation is when that divine reward kicks in. It is delayed, but it's not diminished at all. Peter's talking about the ble- this, this blessed hope. He's talking about this return of Christ. And I was remembering back this week, uh, it was probably 16, 17 years ago. Uh, we were planning a, a, a service in our youth ministry. We were planning a big outreach night. We were expecting uh, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. We were praying for, you know, a couple hundred to come to Christ that night. And we were praying about that service months leading up and dreaming about what we could share and how we could share it. And uh, I don't know, God put it on my heart or somebody. We start talking about maybe we should preach that night on the rapture. Mm, that'll... We'll do that. We'll preach on the rapture. Make sure they'll let them know if you're not ready, because he's coming. Jesus is coming again. And if you're not ready, you're going to miss the rapture. So that's what we decided to preach on. And we're in meetings kind of dreaming about it. And I don't know whose idea it was. Might have been mine. Might have been somebody else. But somebody came up with the idea. They said, maybe we should just, what if we, like, planned a rapture? Like, what if we, like, faked the rapture during the service? And then people would see it and they'd be like, oh no, I'm missing it. And then we'd be like, but it's not real, but you were missing it, do you wanna miss it? And they were like, no. Do you wanna get ready for the real rapture? Yes, you know, that's what's the plan, let's do that. So we'll do like a whole, we'll do a whole rapture. So I'll preach on it, and then at the end, we'll have, the, the rapture will happen. So here was our plan. I was gonna preach, and I, and I got to a certain point of my, of, of the end of the message, and I was gonna say a sentence. And the trumpet would blast, Jesus would appear, and then everybody would be like, oh, no, this is really happening. What a coincidence. He's been preaching on it, and now it's really happening. You know, like, okay, that was the plan. All right, so the night comes, the gym at Golden Rock Campus, packed out with kids. I'm just preaching my little heart out on the rapture of the church. It could happen at any moment. And I get to that point in the service where I say my last little line, that's the cue for the trumpet player. We'd gotten this, we were supposed to get this kid his first chair uh, in the band, and he was going to just kill it. And so I get to that spot, and I, I say that sentence, and I'm waiting for the trumpet to sound, and no trumpet. I'm like, well, I guess I'll have to circle back around. You know, no man knows the day nor the hour, so I guess we... <laughs> That's that's some next level eschatology humor right there. That's a whole different. All right. Uh, So I circle back around. I say that sentence again, still no sounding of the trumpet. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm starting to get a little frustrated, trying to keep anointed, but still be mad at the same time. And uh, I look back and I realized what the problem was. Our first chair trumpeter that we were supposed to get, apparently he couldn't come. And so they'd gotten this middle school kid to fill in for him. And this little kid was back there as I'm preaching, I notice he's back there just shaking away, just scared to death, he does not want to play his trumpet in front of everybody. And um, I circle back around and I kind of give a look like, Jesus better come back on this, on this time. <laughs> so I say my sentence again. They're back there, people at this point, some of the staff's back there going, go, play, do it. And so, instead of what was supposed to be like the trumpet call of God from heaven, like whatever that would sound like in your imagination, Picture more like, like if there was an elk out in a field that was dying, picture the kinds of sounds he would make as he was agonizing his last few minutes on this earth, because that's the sound that came out of the trumpet, and it was instead of this blast, it was more like a like that, like Here's the problem. The blast of the trumpet was supposed, to, um, was supposed to overshadow the sound of the machinery that was gonna get Jesus in place. We had in the gym at that time this curtain that went all the way across the whole back of the stage, and Jesus was gonna come up on a genie lift, and he was gonna appear during the sounding of the trumpet, but the trumpet was so short and quiet, so this dying elk, and people kind of turn around in the back of the room to see what had happened, And then I see everybody go from looking back, now that you hear the And the next thing you hear, you just hear You don't even see Jesus yet. You just hear the machinery that Jesus is rapturing the church on. So then I see everybody's head kind of turn this way towards like the machinery. And then, poor Jesus, I still picture it, and it's this kid, Eric, that helped us, and I ask him to forgive me every time I see him, but um, pretty soon after like a few seconds of the machinery, his head kind of pops up over the curtain. It's moving very slow. Battery's like dying on the genie lift. He's moving up. You can just see the embarrassment on his face at this point. Why did they do this to me? When the genie lift gets at its highest point, it kind of does one of those like bounces into place kind of clanks. So Jesus kind of gets there and he's like, like, kind of like that. It's just awkward and silent. And then he reaches out his hand because he's being a good Jesus at this point. Doesn't want to. I can see it. And he just goes, come. <laughs> and I go at that moment, I go from where I had been praying for hundreds to come to Christ. I just was like, Lord, let there not be hundreds of defections away from Christ. Like, I'm afraid there might be people who have been living for Christ for quite some time, but after seeing this, they might go, I just, I'm not, I'm out. I don't know about this. I, I thought I love Jesus, but I don't know. But no, God was good to us, and there were still a lot of kids that, that, that came forward and, and made Christ their Lord, but I don't know. I started thinking about that. Um, maybe that's why sometimes we don't talk it about, about it as much as maybe we should. And maybe sometimes that's why uh, this doesn't get portrayed as often as it should. I mean, they've made a couple movies here and there about Christ's return. But it, man, it's a, it's a tough topic to grasp. It's a tough topic to, to consider because it's so profound. It's, even to imagine heaven, it's just so different than what we experience here that sometimes it's, it's tough to grasp. And so... Uh, Let's look at a few verses that talk about this amazing moment that's going to happen. And as we look at these verses, as we read a couple of these passages, I want you to watch for two things. Number one, I want you to watch for the certainty of his return. This is not presented as some sort of like, hey, watch out because this maybe might happen or maybe you you never know. No, this is a certainty that he's coming back. And watch for how the knowledge of his return should affect the way we live, which is why it's important that we know the end of the story. Let's look at a couple of these passages. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's the same chapter that we are already in, but just a few verses later. Peter says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. No, Peter says, "Set your hope on Jesus because he's coming." 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. According to the Lord's word, "We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left at the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died." Verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Come on, somebody say amen. And the reason why... The reason why you felt just a little bit of excitement in that moment is answered in the very next verse, because in verse 18, the writer of Thessalonians says, therefore encourage one another with these words. This is an encouragement. When you understand the end of God's story, oh, it'll make you receive the story with a whole different level of encouragement. Titus chapter 2 talks about it. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Why would we do that? Why would we say no to ungodliness? Why would we live upright lives? It's because we are awaiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I don't know what it is. We just, we used seem like we used to talk about it more. People used to sing about it more. There's an old song that people used to sing, part of movies. It was probably written before I was born. It was called, I wish we'd all been ready. There is no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Some of you, I could do the altar call right now. Just for that one little clip of that song. It was just that thought and we just don't, it seems like we just don't talk about it or think about it as as much as we used to. I mean, I guess people, most people have probably made the decision, well, I don't want to go to hell. And I think they may have made the decision, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't know if people have decided that I want to go to heaven. If all you think heaven is, is a better alternative than hell, then you don't understand God's story. If somehow you think, well, I know, but I would just rather be here on earth, and I just want to be here on earth, and I just, I'm kind of afraid of missing out on something here on earth. If you think you're going to miss out on something when you get to heaven, if you think you're going to look back on earth and miss anything when you get to heaven, you do not understand God's story. To try to explain the beauty, the splendor of heaven, Revelation chapter 1, probably as uh, a lot of people uh, get some descriptions of heaven, Revelation chapter chapter 21 is where it talks about that the streets are paved with gold, that the gates are made with pure, that the walls are made of these precious uh, jewels and rubies and expensive stuff. And this is all just the common, this is just walls and pavement made out of that. And, and you say, well, do you think that's literal uh, yeah, I, get, I, think, I, I think it is literal, but in one sense, I don't think it even begins to describe how amazing heaven is going to be. And so understanding that divine reward, we may not have talked about it. It may be delayed, but boy, it hasn't diminished at all. Jesus said, I go away and I'm preparing a place for you. The third like, truth, I guess, statement, to pull out of this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 would be this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. The journey, this journey we're in right now called life, the journey is doable because of the destination. This part here is doable because of this. The journey, that's what, that's what Peter goes on to say in verse 6 and 7. He says, in all this you greatly rejoice. In all what? In all this living hope this blessed hope. Every time I think about heaven, I greatly rejoice. He says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though, Peter admits, for now, a little while, you may have to have suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And here Peter's probably talking about some, maybe just everyday life, the stuff that we go through. But I think Peter's also talking about persecution that people are suffering because they've decided to serve Christ. He said, you may have to suffer these things, but these have come, because some of us may say, well, why do I have to suffer? Why can't I just have more heaven on earth? Like, why do we have to go through the, the rough times and the, and the rough patches and the tough seasons and the storms? Peter explains it right here. He said, these come, these, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, the genuineness, that word in the, in the Greek that gets translated genuineness holds the, the meaningness to be tests for the purpose of approval. Like when someone's testing something and putting a stamp of approval saying, this is good. This is real. This is alive. This is genuine. What Peter is saying here is when we're going through these times of trials and testing, it's proving the genuineness of our faith, not even to others, but it's proving the genuineness of our faith to ourselves. Because when I go through a storm, A storm will reveal what I hope in. It always does. Think about it think about the storms you've gone through in your life. It reveals who you hope in. You go through and through a storm of physical, uh, uh, you know, a physical battle, something going on, it's going to prove real quick, I'm either going to trust in these doctors, or I'm going to put my trust in the great physician. A storm will reveal who you trust in. You go through a financial storm, you can either go, I'm going to put my, my, my trust in my, my paycheck and in my salary, or I'm going to put my trust in the one who provides everything I have anyway. I'm going to put my, in, the, in, a, in a great provider. A storm will always reveal who you trust in, and it's the same with these storms that we go through now. It's proving the genuineness of our faith. It's a greater worth than gold. Gold perishes, even though it's refined by the fire. But this genuineness may result in praise, glory, and honor. When? When Jesus is revealed, when we're restored. The journey is doable because of the destination. I don't know if any of you remember back in 2017, Hurricane Irma was headed to Florida. It was coming in at its peak as a Category 5, I think 177 mile an hour winds. And when it was on its way, uh, they estimated about 6 million people evacuated Florida when it was headed in. That weekend that it was on its way, I was actually out of state speaking at a youth convention and... um, When it came time for me to fly home, by then all the airports had closed here in the state of Florida, so I I couldn't fly home. And Jamie wasn't uh, all that excited about weathering that storm without me there at the house. And so we had some friends in Montgomery, Alabama, who said, "Just come up here, and you know, you can stay here at the house with us uh, during this." And so she packed up whatever kids we had there with us at that time and our puppy, and she uh, she headed north to Montgomery, Alabama. I was able to change my flight. Instead of flying home, I flew to Atlanta and she drove over to pick me up in Atlanta and then we went to Montgomery. So I don't remember which day it was. After a couple of days, it was kind of, the storm had passed. It caused a little bit of damage, I think more on the west side of the state. It was time to drive, uh, to drive home. As it turned out, um, when we decided, I think it was a Monday morning, we decided to come home. As it turned out, all six million of the evacuees also decided to come home to Florida at the exact same time and they were all using the same highway that we were on. So a trip that should normally take maybe just a little over seven hours ended up taking almost 15 hours. It was one of the most excruciating trips I've ever had in a car. You know how when you're sitting in traffic for like 20 or 30 minutes you start to be like, oh man, I can't handle this. Try sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic for like 12 hours. I mean, you don't talk about wanting to hurt somebody. Like, it's just, it's, just not, it's just not right. And then to add to that, we didn't even think that we were going to have to, like, pack supplies. We didn't think we were, like, making a journey through the Sahara Desert or something like that. It's not like we got a canteen of water and a couple, you know, protein bars or something We just got in the car like normal people thinking, yeah, if we get thirsty, we'll stop and get something. If we get hungry, we'll stop and get something on our seven-hour trip home. No, a 15-hour trip home with nothing open, nothing available. I mean, the whole way from Montgomery to Orlando, there was maybe like, I don't even know, maybe two gas stations that were even open. No restaurants were open. Uh, Of the two kind of gas stations that kind of were, the exits on the highway, because everyone knew that was the only one that was open, to get off on, it would just be backed up for miles. One of them, we just decided we were so thirsty. It was like, we were just like one drop of water. It was just, it was crazy to be like here in the States, but not be able to get a drop of water on a journey. And so we finally were like, let's try to go in here and see if we can get something. We pulled just to the outside of the gas station. We finally get in, the line to get even into the parking lot because people were trying to get gas. Luckily we had enough gas to get home. So we kind of went around all them and we were like, we just want to go inside to the, to, to the little convenience store. We get around and look in there and I'm t- there must have been, looked like 300 people in this convenience store, just all shoulder to shoulder. They look like zombies. You know, people that had been on a 15 hour trip, they looking at each other like, I felt like they were thinking about eating one another. Like they were probably so, there was nothing left in this. The shelves are bare. These people are like, just like, just look scary. We just get back on the highway. We're like, we can't, we can't go take chances with those zombies in there. <laughs> At one point, the maps was like, well, if you pull off the highway and take these back roads, it'll save you this amount of time. We're like, well, let's, we'll try that. We pull off the back roads. We get up here to the back roads. Turn left here, turn right here, turn left here. Big old tree. The storm had blown over these gigantic trees blocking the shortcut. Turn back around, back where we started. That was another part of our journey, home. I'm telling you, it was the worst trip we'd ever had in a car. You may say, well then, why'd you keep going? Why didn't you quit? Why didn't you turn around? I'll tell you why. Because we kept thinking about home. Oh, we just kept thinking about the destination. We start talking about when I get home, I'm gonna drink so much water. I may drink some Diet Coke when I get home. We start talking about, I'm going to have some. You know what sounds good when we get home? We start talking about what sounds good, what we had in the house. Somebody's like mac and cheese. Somebody else said cereal. I think we all, I had some Honey Note Cheerios when I got home. We start talking about what we were going to eat. We start talking about how good the bed was going to feel after 15 hours sitting in the seat of a car, how good the bed was going to feel. And it was because I was thinking about the destination, I was willing to endure the journey, which is why it's so important. It's foundational for us to understand This world is not our home. We are just passing through. We're not citizens here. No. Our citizenship is here. And when I understand the end of the story, oh, it makes the story so much more enjoyable. Maybe your journey has been anything but enjoyable. Maybe it's been tough. And I would just encourage you to get your eyes off the journey for a moment and get your eyes on the destination better than you could ever imagine if you're ready for heaven. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, everyone across all of our campuses, if you would close your eyes. And the reason why I ask you to do that is because I know for probably without a doubt that there are some that are part of this service right now and you're not ready for heaven. I mean, if that moment happened that we talked about, that we did such a poor job communicating in that youth service so many years ago, but what if, I mean, what if the trumpet really sounded? And what if the dead in Christ were risen and we who are alive and remain and who are ready, we begin to get caught up to meet Jesus and forever be with the Lord. Are you ready for that moment? Because I know it's been delayed, but listen, it's it's happening, it's certain, Jesus is coming back. And I want you to be ready, and He wants you to be ready. That's why you're here, that's why you're a part of this service, that's why you're hearing this message. So if you're not right with God, if you're not ready to meet God, Listen, don't go another minute like that. I want to pray with you today before we close this service. If you just say, I need to get right with God. I need to get ready for heaven. I'm not ready for heaven. I know it. I need to get ready for heaven. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand in just a moment. All right? I'm not ready for heaven. I need to be. I'm just going to count to three. And if that's you, slip up your hand. Ready? One, two, three. I'm not ready for heaven. Let me see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be ashamed. This is the greatest decision you could ever make. Getting ready for eternity. Getting ready for the end of the story. Anybody Anybody else? There at our campuses, Red Bug, Michigan Street, if that's you, I need to get ready for heaven. Come on, slip up your hand right there where you are. There in the atrium, if you need to get ready for heaven, you know you're not right with God. Come on, do that right now. Let's do this across all of our campuses here in the auditorium. Would you stand to your feet? Our campus pastors are gonna take the service there at the campuses. But here in this auditorium, there in the atrium, I wanna open up these altars. There were several, several people. You're not alone today. There were several who said, I'm not ready for heaven. There were some that aren't ready for heaven that still didn't raise their hand. And man, I'm telling you, this is a, a certainty. I wouldn't take any chances with this. I would want to be ready to meet Jesus. And so if you lifted your hand a moment ago saying, I need to get right with God today, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to meet me at this front so we can just pray together so that we can make sure that we can be certain, that we can know that we're ready to meet Jesus. Maybe you, maybe you have something else going on in your life. Maybe there's something going on, you're sick in your body, sick, uh, maybe there's something going on emotionally. Listen, God gives us, gives us little glimpses of heaven because heaven, no more sickness, no more sin, no more pain, no more tears. But God gives us glimpses of that in moments when His divine power, His divine mercy, His divine virtue, His divine healing can come into our life. And it's just little doses of heaven just to give us a glimpse of the restoration reward that's coming. And so if you need healing in any area of your life, that's available for you today as well. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.